I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli, and I write about theater for The New York Times and The New Yorker. I'm Peter Marks, theater critic of The Washington Post. And I'm Terry Tichat, drama critic of The Wall Street Journal. Welcome to another episode of Three on the Isle, a monthly podcast from New York about theater in America. We're hosted by American Theater Magazine, a publication of the Theater Communications Group. And today we have a very uh, special episode. We are commemorating a sad anniversary, the first anniversary of the closing of Broadway and shortly afterward, nearly all of the rest of America's theaters. And most of them have remained closed to the public ever since. We recently invited our listeners to send us their memories of the shutdown and its aftermath, as well as their feelings about what's to come. Our mailbag quickly filled up with responses, and we'll be sharing some of them with you later in the podcast. First, though, we're happy to be back with you, and we wanted to say that. It's always a pleasure to be uh, talking to each other uh, across the digital divide, and we thought it that... It really is. Yeah. You know, we used to see each other in the aisle, and now uh, this is it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, we haven't seen each other uh, together uh, with Erica in a year, yep. in a whole, you know, cycle of seasons. It's, it's... It's very weird. You start to forget who you've seen in person, who you haven't, but mostly you have, you know, I I have relationships with people. I realize I not to have been in their physical presence in a year is a very strange sensation. It really is. I've made friends I've never met. Yeah. Well, well, the, 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 yeah, the, the definition of met has changed. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it has. Uh, so I guess actually we, we have a good letter to, to start, to, to, to get us, uh, started. And it's a letter from Diane Wilshire. And I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Who writes, uh, one of the consequences of the pandemic for me was how far behind I am on listening to podcasts. I just listened to your late March 2020 first virtual podcast. And I was struck by something that Peter said following the discussion in which he had all expressed cautious hope that the performing arts shutdown would be short. Peter commented, if this goes on for six months, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you remember that? I do. <laughs> of course I remember. Don't you? I, we, you know, those first uh, weeks of the pandemic, we were all, I think, pretty sure that June 1st was going to be the return date. You know, there yeah. was the, the, everybody was on this very short uh, uh, schedule of thinking we were going to be away. No one could possibly have conceived back then we were going to be out yeah, for a year. Yeah, the Broadway League, uh, I think, had announced, yeah, like May or June, and we're like, oh, right, right in time for the Tonys and all that. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, um, it's a strange uh, disconnect for even thinking about... Uh, what it'll, what, you know, even contemplating going back now, you know, it feels like we've been out for so long that this is now what feels like the the way in which we conduct business. Yeah. And not to coin a phrase, the new normal yeah, indeed. for us. Yeah. And I'm just now starting to uh, see announcements of, of summer shows that seem like a real realistic possibility that they will open uh, outdoor shows. And I, I can't quite take that in. Yeah. I, I think there were there were a few um, distance outdoor shows last year, but this summer will be really the the summer of the outdoor show. I mean, 
like I think it's going to be striking. Actually, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but we, um, we haven't even too. we haven't even begun. To, you know, when you think about it, if we if we did flip the cards back like that scene in Hamilton where we rewind to a life before and 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 imagine what what we were going to experience. You know, a year ago we were not really. You know, we weren't talking about Black Lives Matter. We weren't talking about the total sort of shutdown of an industry and what that would mean. We didn't even know. I don't think we could even contemplate the fact that, you know, the four of us, uh, Erica included, would still have jobs uh, a year from then. You know, yeah. I mean, if it, 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 that well, it was a damn near run thing for me. I mean, I, I suddenly I mean, the, the shutdown took place right around the time that my wife died and I, I wasn't even thinking about right. it anything else in the world. But then it hit me, uh, Othello's occupation's gone. I've got to figure out something to do. And I was lucky. I got the idea to, to uh, start covering theatrical webcasts. Mm. But uh, uh, there are a lot of people in our business who have nothing to do. Right. And uh, it's a rough thing. Right. Well, it's been interesting, too, because I've, I've been doing a, a biweekly uh, column for The Times about streaming theater, and it's been uh, very bracing to do that because um, of the wealth of stuff that there is. And I haven't had, I haven't, I haven't repeated anything. That's, that's how, you know, some uh, plays or events are kind of happening on a sort of recurring basis. I have not done any repeats. There's, that's how much stuff there is. Uh, and I've, yeah. I've been able to write about, uh, and get on, on the mailing list and getting press releases and n knowing what theaters all over the U S and, and the world actually are doing, mm. which is very new. And that's been exciting, right. honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, to, to be able to do that. I've watched like more Royal Shakespeare company shows than <laughs> maybe I've just watched one yesterday. Um, you know, it's crazy. Uh, that's been exciting for that. Uh, I'm 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 a silver lining kind of girl. Yeah, it's another world, and for some of our readers, it's a new and exciting world. And let's give them a chance to say so. A year a year later, let's open the mailbag now and hear from all of you out there in uh, the world. Well, I I'll take it. Uh, I'll take this one, Terry, because uh, speak. You you mentioned webcasts, and we have Laura Laspaluto writing. Uh, quote, in one respect, I'm grateful for the past year. Thanks to Terry's Wall Street Journal column, I've seen many excellent stream productions from regional theaters. Amadeus, 1984, Macbeth, and Iliad, The Weir, Patrick Page's All the Devils Are Here, which I also loved, to name a few. In fact, I've probably seen more theater during the pandemic than I would have if I'd been able to see live performances. While I do long for the day when I can sit in an audience enjoy, and enjoy live theater, I also hope that these regional companies will continue to stream performances to people who would never be able to see them live, unquote. Uh, I would say that's an interesting observation. I am not sure that Laura is in the uh, majority. Uh, I am. I don't know how you guys feel. Uh, I don't think necessarily that webcasts are here to stay. Uh, I don't think it's become a money, oh. um, a monetized process oh, for I, many companies. I disagree. Companies. I think they are here to stay. In one way or another, they are not going. Uh, you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've heard that from too many companies all over the country. That is not 
and I think we, we've heard maybe different things, but the ones I've heard, uh, I really do think they're here to stay. Again, in one way or another, they're not going to replace theater, but they're going to be there as a supplemental way. Uh, and I think... Yeah, know. to expand the mm-hmm. audience, make it more accessible to older people in particular. Yeah. And uh, every artistic director I've talked to says that they do plan to stick with it. Uh, but, of course, the real test will come when we do open right. up, right? Let me just contradict you both. I think that this is <laughs> that this is going to be... Uh, this is going to be an expensive proposition. This is not, this is a, this is a money intensive process doing it in a way that's watchable and interesting. You can't just put, you know, stick those three cameras up and film a play. It just doesn't get eyes. You've got to do it in a creative way and that's expensive. And these companies are going to be facing all kinds of costs. Uh, going forward, once the PPP2 money and the SOS money starts to peter out, uh, they're going to be faced with some real challenges. And I would say that it's probably not going to be a priority. Uh, I do think if you're both right, I do think there are going to be companies that are going to become multimedia and that are going to use this as an arm and extension, especially with people with filmmaking uh, ambitions. No, but I, I don't I... think I don't think it's a a strong component for many places. I, I, I agree that it won't be a priority, but I will, I think it will be part of the array of, of services and programs that companies offer. Actually, um, we have a letter that kind of deals with that too, uh, from Andrew Davis. I slightly edited it for, for length quote, the pandemic has obviously been a devast- devastating force globally. However, a small silver lining has been the emergence of digital theater. I live in a very rural town and have to drive over an hour to see even regional theater. I keep up with theater mainly through reading plays and seeing taped life performances and film adaptations. But during this pandemic, I got to see the original cast of the Heidi Chronicles do a live reading of the play through Seth Rudetsky's uh, Stars in the House series. I also saw a benefit performance of Angels in America with Patty Lupone, Essie Patha Merkerson and Laura Linney. Before the pandemic took over the world, I was planning on making a trip to New York to see my first Broadway play, Company, starring Patti Lupone. But instead, I got to hear her talk in a recent post-concert Q&A about her excitement and nervousness in returning to the stage. And she predicted that the outpouring of emotion from the audience in the first night of Broadway's reopening will be a necessary release and reflection of this time. So I, I really think that's, I mean, I've heard so many stories similar to, to Andrew's uh, in terms of like, I have to drive three or four hours or wherever. Although, admittedly, I have to take the subway an hour to go to most theaters. So I, I feel, <laughs> I feel for Andrew, but, um, I, I, I really do think that's part of the reason it's, it's here to stay. But no, it won't be a priority, but it's, I, I don't see at least major Lord companies getting rid of it. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think the more interesting, one of the interesting aspects of this, I don't know what you think, Terry and Elizabeth, but is what changes in terms of people's, I think what's implicit in uh, Mr. Davis's uh, remarks is the idea of what will motivate, what will, what measures will people take to go to the theater? Mm-hmm. If it, you know, are they now, is there a different threshold for what will propel you into a theater uh, than before. Maybe you took it for granted or it was something that you did fairly regularly. And now, you know, it's very comfortable to be sitting at home streaming stuff and watching it on TV. If it's not something you're desperate to see, 
uh, and how that's going to figure in how people decide what things are worth going to. Mm. Well, another of our readers has a, a much more skeptical view of all this, which I think you'll find sympathetic, Peter. It's Michael <laughs> Stride. Yeah. And he writes, my wife and I are longtime subscribers to five or so New York theater companies and see other shows based on in part on your reviews. On top of that, we used to see four to six shows a month and a lot of readings of work and development, preferring new works and voices that challenged or inspired or awakened. What has changed is that the community of artists is dispersed and in many cases devastated. While maybe this will inspire and produce really meaningful work in the longer run, in the short run, it seemed to take much of the energy out of the room, literally and figuratively. Online theater is harder to find, less engaging, and certainly falls far short of the more electric feeling of experiencing the reaction of a live audience in real time to live performance and all that comes with it. Those experiences were an important part of the essence of why we enjoyed live performances, but also an essential part of a shared experience that made us and others feel part of some bigger community instead of conversations. These elements, both tangible and intangible, are simply harder to create online. Does that resonate with you, Peter? Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, I, you know, it's interesting that uh, the commentary is that uh, Terry of Michael is that he um, he feels like the shared experience, the the um, the bigger community, those things do seem to be replicatable online. Uh, certainly, you know, when you're watching a play with a bunch of people on Zoom, you know, especially those performances by the Geffen Stayhouse, um, those magic shows and the like, you do feel this se- assemblage of people all sharing the experience. In fact, the weird thing is it's almost like theater in the round. You can see the faces of the audi- other audience members, and that has a, that has a very... A familiar and warm feeling, but I share with him that the, the word electric really is what sort of um, disappears from your vocabulary when you're watching online. You may have to use electricity to see what you're watching, but it doesn't run through your body uh, as easily as it does when you're in a theater. No, I won't deny that, and it's what I miss so much. I, I We've talked about this on previous episodes, but I am finding that a comedy is very hard right. to make land yeah, yeah, online. Yeah, right. uh, totally. If, if an audience is fully present and you can hear it and they've made some trouble to get yeah. audience reaction, uh, that's one thing. But, of course, you can't have that now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I mean, God help us if we have canned laughter. It's nice. How I'm, I'm getting a very nice feeling from getting these responses from people, hearing how much how how seriously people are thinking about these things, how much a part of that ex- the experience that we talk about each time we're together is going on in these households all over the place. It's reassuring. I think uh, it's been a year really of, of, of deep soul searching, I think, for a lot of people for how they uh, make theater and, what, and that they consume theater and what really matters to them and what they're willing to do or not. For theater, uh, it's been it's been really interesting. Uh, I I think, yeah, there's been uh, there, there's been and what companies are willing to do to 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 show their stuff. Uh, mm. I you know how much we've missed it or not. Uh, right. It's it, 
I don't know. I think, you know, and if you add on top of that, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, which kind of happened, I think on top of that, it created two, really two occasions for, for, for reckoning for the theater community. And I really have no idea what's going to come out of that. Uh, I'm mm. intrigued to see what's going to come mm -hmm. out of that, but I have no idea if we're going to have some months of, you know, a lot of companies rush to, pre to expand their offerings and make them more diverse. You know, is that going to last? Are we witnessing structural changes? Are we witnessing, you know, a very, uh, a, a pig with very nice lipstick? What, what's happening? It's really, it's, I, I will, and I honestly have no idea which way it's going to go. Um, it, well, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I have some ideas about that, but, um, so do some of our readers, uh, our listeners, uh, Denise Kennedy, for one, uh, I share some of her excitement. She says she's, you know, really raring to get back into the theater. She writes to us, my husband and I are subscribers to Writers Theater in uh, Glencoe, Illinois. That's uh, a very good company. While I've enjoyed the online presentations, particularly their versions of A Christmas Carol, nothing can take the place of live theater. It's like watching the Cubs with no one in the stands. And oh, I would just say drive. to Denise Kennedy, if you can watch the Cubs under any circumstances, <laughs> God bless you. Um, uh, and she adds, since we're both... Since we're both now fully vaccinated, I would attend a live performance at any time. And here's that's an interesting observation. I am now fully vaccinated. And you know what? It suddenly becomes Terry and Elizabeth like, what's what am I waiting for? Why am I not back yeah. in a theater? I'm ready. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I it, you know, it's it changes one's perspective quite dramatically. Uh, I'm ready to put on the mask and sit down next to anybody. Yeah. Uh, I, I I wonder, you know, how much of that is infecting, so to speak, the minds of theater makers and producers about what their timetable is for bringing me back. I think that's really a big thing out there. It's why we're starting to see those announcements mm -hmm. about outdoor summer performances. The more the, the more people get shots, I've had my first, second coming uh, in a week and a half, and once I'm well, the first thing I'm going to do after I get both of my shots and they're effective is get my damn haircut. But <laughs> after that, uh, I I will be ready for anything theater-wise. Mm. Um, yeah. Does it feel different? Do you feel like you're still in that other space, Elizabeth? That that place where you know you you don't feel protected because you really I, I'm surprised at how um, mm. how much my attitude has changed. Yeah, well, yeah, I am kind of waiting so i you know it could be i don't know how long it's going to take so uh yeah no i'm not i you know i was on i took the subway this morning uh and which for the first time in a long time i haven't taken the subway very much at all uh and i felt okay but again i wasn't on in for very long uh and i was not near anybody so i was thinking well would i do that in the theater i don't know you know, it wasn't, wasn't great. Um, I, I don't know. Mm. I, I'm more of in a wait and see, but I really think, uh, time is on our side here for a change. Mm. So, mm. um, I, I was, I was raging to friends recently that I was, uh, not eligible for the vaccine. I was like, it's the only thing I'm too young for. So <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was in, in raging. <laughs> um, but anyway, okay. So, um, 
now we have a letter from another perspective, um, which was very interesting too. Uh, we, we also heard from artists uh, whose lives, uh, professional lives, were disrupted by the pandemic. And one of them is uh, Katie Forget, uh, who writes, uh, in 2004, after 20 years as an equity actor, I started writing plays. A crazy move since the stats for female playwrights are grim. But I decided to forge ahead and pin my hopes on being discovered posthumously. Um, I'm going <laughs> to have an editorial comment here that Katie has a good sense of humor, so I'm looking forward to her play. Um, anyway, so uh, in July of 2019, I made another crazy decision taking a year off of my low-paying day job to write and market my place full-time. But I did okay. I had lined up a couple of small productions and then a major regional theater made an offer on my new script. I won't wow. doubt my reaction. I was giddy. <laughs> I was giddy. I won't doubt that I was giddy. I mean, I love that. Um, I really mm -hmm. I really want to see our yeah. shows now. Uh, I mean, a 60-year-old, fairly unknown female playwright getting a production at a Lord B-plus theater. That's right up there with the virgin birth. I was negotiating the contract. <laughs> I was negotiating the contract myself. I don't have an. I don't have an agent. It's getting better and better. For twenty, yeah, we have to have her on. I know for twenty twenty production, and then the pandemic hit. The season was canceled, and the theater has yet to decide which of the previously announced play will make it to their upcoming season, whenever that is. Some of the plays will return, is what they've posted. Some. I want to be hopeful, but I have a long issue of being the bridesmaid. And I haven't heard from the theater in over a year. Oh, and uh. because I quit that day job, I don't qualify for unemployment. It's been a year. Oh, Katie. Oh, oh Katie. What a, what an epic. What a, what a roller coaster. That, I would yeah. say, that's, I, I'm sure that's actually pretty representative of the insanity that actors and playwrights and, 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 and freelance writers, honestly, uh, I've been through this past year, uh, when you're, yeah. you know, when you're getting 1099s or, or not, or, or, uh, it's, it's just nuts. And then, you know, of course there's all the, the issue of the health insurance, which is a really big concern for a lot of people in the arts. Uh, it's unfathomable. Um, it's a terrible, terrifying problem for them. And, uh, I swear, I, 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 you know, I admire theater people for several million reasons, but the fact that they're keeping their, their heads out of the water, I don't see how they're doing it. And of course, some of them aren't. Yes. Well, the, the upside, Katie, is I want, now I want to know more about your play. You, you, <laughs> you, you, you sound like a lively theater uh, mind, and that is that bodes well for when this, when this, uh, when this horrible, when this Annis Horribilis whatever, however you say that, uh, is over. Um, sure does. Uh, so that's, that's a good, that's a good sign, Katie. Let's look at the bright side. And, you know, if you want a, another uh, sense of how theater people are thinking, here's Matt McIver, uh, the artistic director of Iowa Stage Theater Company. Uh, he writes, we're a small non-union company in Des Moines, and we've pivoted completely to digital. We just launched a three-show spring season. When we did our first virtual show in the fall, one of our resident artists said it was the hardest thing he'd done in 36 years of theater. Hmm. He played Macbeth. Okay, got it. All right, that is tough, yeah. Uh, it's been rough, yeah. he's, he writes. We are fortunate that our donors have been understanding, but earned revenue has plummeted, and without government support and our key donors, we would not still be around. Uh, so uh, that's 
that touches on a lot of the, you know, the, the struggling, the issues of struggle that, that theater companies are faced with, you know, earned revenue is, is, is plummeted. They're, they're, they're being supported by these government programs that are going to, uh, you know, evaporate and, you know, we'll give them only a certain amount of sustenance. I'm wondering, um, about, you know, these companies, I don't know how you, what you guys have heard, but, you know, they've all furloughed employees. I don't know about uh, Iowa Stage. I don't know what, what that situation is. But uh, one thing that concerns me is a lot of companies are getting this government money, but they've laid off employees. And I want to know if those laid off employees are getting the money. In other words, is it all going to the coffers of these theater companies to sort of build up a, a war chest? Uh, and are they what are they spending it on? I'm not I'm not suggesting that they aren't deserving of help. I'm just wondering how much this is equitably being distributed to the people who are out of work uh, and how people who were expecting to have incomes from the theater this year are no longer sharing in the monies because they're no longer, quote unquote, employed. Yeah. Anyway. Well, the, the companies I know uh, are. They've, they've cut back to skeleton staffs, and they also have the cost of keeping the utilities going in the building. There are all sorts of, sure. you know, the numbers that we don't see. I don't know to what extent they're getting enough money that would be pass aroundable to staff to anybody else. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, perhaps somebody will enlighten us in time for the next podcast. Well, that's, that's yeah, that's um, the problem, and just finding is is exploring that question. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really difficult, yeah. complex. Yeah. Well, many of our other correspondents have talked about their personal sense of loss in the last year. One of them is Cheryl Mulligan, a Long Island theater buff, who writes, "My last theater excursion into the city with my best friend Colleen was seeing Christmas Carol at the Merchant House Museum. It was a great night." We had tickets booked for shows running through April through July, and I'm sure we would have picked up more along the way. Instead, we watched the dates tick by all year, sending each other forlorn texts. We're supposed to be a company listening to Katrina Link sing Being Alive today. Uh, day is sixth day. Uh, now, we should be sitting we should be sitting too close to strangers watching assassins right now. <laughs> I know how she feels yeah. so well. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it's like theater Theater has ghosted us. Yes. That's exactly, that's nice that's exactly it. it. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, we're all singing Getting Married today. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I have a, 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 a letter here from Mary. So Mary Foster Conklin a Manhattan cabaret singer writes, uh, damn good one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Writes to us and says, quote, I did my last live performance a year ago at a small club in the East village. At the time we had a sense that things were changing for the worse, but on that rainy night, the joint was packed. People were tipsy and happy to be there. And we were all still cracking jokes about how we know the end is coming, but we just don't care. Two weeks later, My husband texted me from a nearby urgent care that he was running a high fever. Nothing was ever the same after that. Since July, I've been commuting on my bike to my office job, and I pass through the theater district every morning. The sight of the shuttered theaters breaks my heart. I always send a daily prayer in passing, as if visiting someone on life support. But while I know we may not return to exactly what was, I still have faith that the theater will go forward and discover new ground. It already has. 
Oh, that's lovely. That, that touches me so much. It's lovely. So much. Um, well, I, we are hearing a lot of faith in the future from our correspondents. And uh, regarding this, we got a long and very interesting letter from an important director, Mark Limus, the artistic director of Connecticut's Westport Country Playhouse, in which he talked about what happened to him and his company last year and spoke of his own mixed feelings about the concept of, concept and spoke of his own mixed feelings about the concept of hope. I thought we might let him go on a bit because this is this really gets to the other side of the of, of the business. Uh, Mark writes on March 10, 2020. I was in the roundabout theater theater company's offices discussing a transfer from the Playhouse. On March 11, I was in a meeting with senior staff at the Playhouse, and suddenly I thought, I was on Metro North and subways and in offices in the city yesterday, and my presence here might be compromising. So I drove home. The next day, we shut down the Playhouse, and I've been with my husband and dog ever since working from home with a skeleton crew of essential senior staff. Despite the constant tension, there really have been blessings. Zoom meetings have made us better listeners and more work gets done. And yes, they're occasionally exhausting because, well, really listening can be tiring. And getting the opportunity to work all of the We See You White American Theater demands twice a week with staff, facilitators, and trustees has been invaluable, eye-opening, and humbling. Missing rehearsals with actors and stage actors has made me hungry to return, yet a whole year without the many deadlines my line of work requires has been truly revivifying for me. The time away from rehearsal halls and theater going, commuting, planning, and working in fundraising has allowed me to binge read 106 books and counting since last March 10th. Sheer bliss. He's got me beat. <laughs> what next? Thinking for months that we might be able to open in some form, we've now pivoted to a completely virtual 2021 season, filled less with productions than experiences, dialogues with theater artists, educational events for teen playwrights, collaborations with a local radio station on radio theater, script reading, and the streaming of popular productions from the last 10 years. We're now planning 2022 live in the Playhouse with, hopefully, full houses of people hungry to be together and experience live theater. So has this been the, the year of living dangerously <laughs> or the year of magical thinking? Either way, hope is a concept. Sure has gotten a workout the past 12 months. Mm. Yeah. We all have stories, don't we? I mean, we all had a year. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting to hear the the different variations on the theme, but they're all they all feel shared. Mm -hmm. You know, do we are we going to need theater to tell us about this year that we've all experienced, or do we have to just move on from this the, this year? And you know, is it is it something are people going to want to just forget about the memories are so strong and powerful that that our 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 listeners are are describing they're very moving mm -hmm. they're very introspective i think it's going to work itself out into important art mm. 
I really do believe that there's also going to be a lot of stupid art, you know, well, what I did during the pandemic kind of play. But there will always I, be, I, I there will can't. always be stupid art. That's a, <laughs> that's a constant. Yeah. That's the thing, that's you true. know? Yeah. I, right. I was uh, I was very uh, happy almost uh, to see that there, there was a lot of stupid art during this pandemic. A lot of it. Uh, it's not like we were suddenly. Amen. It's not like people were suddenly uh, inspired to create great stuff. People created just crappy stuff, like they always do. And then out of that, you know, a few good projects floated the surface. But I would say the ratio of crappy to good has remained the same, which is <laughs> roughly nine to one. Um, and that sounds like a fundamental rule of life. That's exactly yeah. what it is. I don't know why, like, you know, there, there, there has not been a divine intervention to suddenly inspire people, you know, it takes fertilizer to grow a tree. <laughs> you know, there was a one, there don't was a, speak. there was a very, um, poignant, um, piece by, uh, Tracy Letts, who's been one of our guests mm -hmm. about how he oh, couldn't boy. write this year, yeah. how he couldn't write. Yeah. You know, it was it, 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 his, his longing for the actual space, the living space of a theater, uh, was so potent, so profound that it, it really, uh, sent him into a kind of despairing, mm -hmm. uh, period of, of, of void in terms of work. Yeah. And of course we, you know, we wait for his next play and I'm sure the minutes, uh, is going to be on Broadway, um, you know, his, his, the play that got delayed, uh, by COVID. So, um, we know that there are all kinds of impacts that, uh, that this period has had, mm -hmm. um, that this isolation is not necessarily inspirational. Right. And I think, uh, there, there are projects like bubbling and people trying to figure out, okay, so what, what next? And actually, uh, we, we got a great, uh, email from, uh, the director, uh, Gregory Mosher, who runs the Hunter Theater Project. And he's firmly on the side of treating the pandemic as an opportunity for change. And so he wrote, so uh, uh, Gregory Marshall wrote, maybe it's just that I'm, that I'm with young theater artists at Hunter every day, teaching a course called Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, which <laughs> is a great title for a course, by the way. Right. It's a right. great motto. <laughs> great motto. Right. Uh, sorry, so, 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 uh, Gregory says, but I think that out of the genuine disaster comes a very specific opportunity, which is nothing more or less than for people to make the kind of theater they want to make. Nobody mm. likes the current pricing structure. Nobody likes the artist pay. Nobody likes the inequality or the homogeneity or the subscription audience. So make the theater you want to make with sensible ticket prices, fair pay, equitable policies and principles. Play for audiences who want to see that show as opposed to just quote unquote supporting the theater procedures we've taken for granted for decades are up for grabs. So grab, remember that the theater is what happens at eight o'clock or whenever. And if you commit to that, the rest will fall in place. Mm. Mm. Wow. Worried that easy, but that sounds great. <laughs> I like to be in that class. Yeah. I actually spoke to that class. Oh, interestingly. Uh, yeah. And it was filled with, Hope. It was filled with that thing that, uh, that Mark Lamos, uh, referred to. Uh, there, you felt it in the room and, uh, people are groping. There's no doubt about it. Nobody is, I think it's a time of great insecurity. Uh, I hope it's that, you know, we get to some of those kind of altruistic ideas about what theater can be. It feels like it should be, you know, that, um, I, I, I I don't know if the uh, if the culture uh, will support it. 
I, I, you know, I want to believe that audiences, that if you build it, people will come. And I don't mean a new theater. I mean a new play. Uh, we'll have yeah. to see. So uh, Ali Sousa, who describes herself on Twitter as a freelance dramaturg, occasional costume designer, and amateur theater historian, feels a, the same way as, um, I think, as Gregory does. Uh, Ali writes... I feel a slight dread approaching the anniversary of the shutdown, remembering a year ago when we found out my best friend's Broadway debut was postponed, quote, for two weeks. I'm an optimist by nature, and shortly after the shutdown happened, I had a lot of dreamy predictions about the future of commercial theater. Surely the target audience of Broadway will have to shift uh, and focus on local, younger audience members. Surely high ticket prices will drop, enabling people to come to the theater who previously haven't been able to afford it. Perhaps we're in for a golden age of new work. I worry about seeming naive and Pollyanna-ish in saying all of this, but a year later, I still have hope for some of that. In fact, I've wound up more connected and, and involved in the New York theater community than I ever was when things were normal. I have hope that I'll be back in a theater before 2022 and can't wait to experience the explosion of joy and catharsis that, that'll come from being able to gather again. Uh, do you guys feel God, that? That's an inspiring letter. Do you guys feel that? Is that, is that where your heads are at? Sometimes. Hmm. Uh, no despair. I mean, you know, it's been a complicated year for me, but theater, well, theater has gotten me through this last year mm. and I've, I've fed off it mm. and I'm so eager, uh, to be back with people around me that I don't have to imagine to be back in the community. And it is a community, damn it. You know, uh, it's, that's just what she writes here really gets to me. It really does. I, yeah, I, you know, I think I, yeah, I, I don't know. My, my, my head is in a spin. I really, I, I don't know why I stand honestly. Like there's days when I'm thinking, yes, it's going to be great. We're going to, we're going to get an influx of, 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 of new talent and new blood and people with new ideas. And then the f day after that, I'm just falling into pits of despair. So I <laughs> should and well, you know, I really don't know. It changes every day. It really changes every day. Um, I have heard many stories about people leaving the business, general managers, you know, mm -hmm. people, front of house people, actors, you know, just giving up, you know, and just thinking you've got to do something else, which is scary. There's going to be a lot of skill that's going to have drained away. And whether it's going to all yeah. come back is I'm just not certain. I mean, I know people have retired early or have retired uh, but hopefully, you know, it. hopefully it's rejuvenating. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it is. It's uh, you know, regenerative. Yeah. Uh, uh, an assistant stage manager I've worked with and like very much, uh, she's she's in real estate now. Yeah. And will she come back? Well, it depends on what there is to come back to. Mm -hmm. right. I, and the actors, God bless them. They're just I, some of the some of the greatest actors I know have got nothing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. This is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's true. It's true. We must have hope. Yeah. There is no alternative to hope. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, we have a, a great, uh, a great letter uh, that kind of tackle, tackles that, I, I think, a bit. And it's uh, from uh, Tammy Faye Starlight, who's a well-known presence uh, in New York, at least, uh, a singer-songwriter um, and, and ch channeler of... Uh, <laughs> 
of other singers. <laughs> uh, a good way to put it. Um, who specializes in, 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 as she puts it, blondes with low voices and defined lives. I, I remember seeing uh, Tammy Fitzgerald's uh, a Marian Faithful show, which was really lovely. It's a great mix of scholarship and and kind of this weird seance type thing. Um, anyway, it's wonderful. But um, so she writes... I think perhaps we realized this past year that theater is wherever the desire to create theater is. It has no confines mm. of medium or structure. It is the product of the human, of the human will to persevere and reflect upon itself, opening up the mirror to every perceivable reality. I mm. second that 100%. Mm. Yeah. It is what it is where it happens. Uh, and it, we, I, I know it sounds way vague and, and, Ah, and wishy-washy, but at the same time, it kind of keeps me going, I've got to say, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, what realities do the three of us hope for and expect out of the three of the theater that will be created and which we hope to be seeing in the year to come? I am starting very tentatively to make plans to review out-of-town shows in person this summer. St. Louis Shakespeare just announced a BIPOC outdoor King Lear set for June, in which none other than the great Andre de Shields will be playing the title role. We'll see what happens, but if it happens, I'll be there. Uh, I saw Andre play Lear. He played it for the Classical Theater of Harlem. He did. Uh, so he that, sure did. Yeah. Uh, so that's a great, I mean, that's wonderful. The idea. I, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you're, um, you're on your way out of town, Terry, again. That's... Uh, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a sign of hope. That's one of those, you're like a harbinger, like the, you know, the first Robin of spring. <laughs> Call me a crocus. <laughs> well, I was on the phone with my brother last night and I said, you old okay, crocus. pal, I'm coming home. Uh, you know, he uh, lives in Missouri. And I, I said, I'm going to come see a King Lear and then I'm going to drive down and see you guys for the, well, for the first time in far more than a year because, mm -hmm. you know, I was. Right. Tied to New York even prior to the pandemic. Right. Um, yeah. I just, even if it's on a plane, I, I'm ready. Let me let me add it. Yeah, I I agree, and I'm looking forward to trying to get on the road this summer. Some exciting, exotic place in the U.S. that I don't know. That would be. Uh, I would love to go to a place that I've never been to and see some theater there. That's mm. that's my idea. I don't. Want, I want to see a place I haven't. A, a play I haven't seen in a place I haven't seen. That's my uh, mm. that's my goal this summer. That's my favorite part of the job. Do you think it would be okay if I just strung together like comments from all of these letters and you know posted them as my own in an essay? You know, so <laughs> absolutely do it, do it. I feel like this is like a it's like a <laughs> it's like a theater essay starter kit. Just just you know, it's like these. These people, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I wish I'd said that one too. Just call, anyway, call it docu theater, docu theater. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> isn't there a fair use doctrine? You know, I mean, I think that's Absol in play. Absolutely. You know, uh, no, really, uh, I'm really impressed by uh, uh, it, it. I didn't expect this uh, experience today to uh, fill me up quite this way. But I feel the presence of all these people's uh, 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 observations and um, energy. I feel that that energy sort of with us. So that is an extraordinary gift from people that we can't hug. Well, I, I won't lie. I, hearing these 
letters out loud. I'd seen them on, on the page, but hearing them out loud choked me up a couple of times today yeah. as, during the taping. I just, I just thought, yes, I want this. We all want mm-hmm. this and we're going to be able to have it. Uh, we just have to, we have to tough it out a little longer and have, have faith that theater speaks to a fundamental need for secular communion in the souls of humankind. I've always felt this. And uh, if that's true, then we will need theater to tell us what happened. Uh, you remember in Tootsie and the party scene in the beginning, and uh, the character played by Bill Murray says, and what he likes is when somebody sees one of his plays and says, what happened? Well, you know, we, we're going to need theater to tell us what happened, mm. what it meant, why it matters, and what's next. And I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation of, of the good writers, the good artists, the good actors, and, 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 and uh, crew members and designers. They're going to they're gonna show us the way out and onward to something new. That's, that's my, my firm belief. Um, maybe I'm being Pollyannish, but I don't feel like it today. Mm-hmm. Well... I feel like the touring version of this podcast, we'll call it Theater Dreams, and we'll each we'll each play three characters. We'll each play three different people. Um, I think Terry, you know, I, I could cast it right now, but I think we'll we'll have to do that in a separate session. But I do I do think we've got something here. We'll we will lift the spirits of American theater goers from from you know all from all corners of the country. So, but but in the meantime. Segway speaking. Okay, I'm, I'm getting us an RV so we can go on the road. Oh my God! We, it's you know. It, you know, but it's uh, it's Nomad, one of my dreams actually. Nomadland two. Nomadland two. Nomadland two. Yeah, Critics and it's on the us. Road. It's awesome. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna go. We're gonna go on a road trip. We're gonna do like van life, but with an RV because we, we want comfort. Or maybe three, exactly. three RVs, four, yeah. one for Erica, right. of course, four yeah, RVs, and we go as a caravan. I can picture it. Now we just have yeah. to, uh, you know, we're we're applying for a grant. We're going to apply right. some kind of. Oh, could you imagine? We're applying for some kind of like travel. I'm sure the Neiman Foundation has plenty of money to spare, and if they're yes. listening, which I'm sure, I'm sure they are. Right. They should we'll apply for. They know what to do. We'll apply for PPP three. PPP three will be for funding of traveling RVs with right critics. to us at three on Bringing. the aisle. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I, I but, can actually tell you, and I, sh- I shouldn't say this, but but the company I most look forward to seeing when everything is together again is an outdoor uh, summer festival, an amphitheater. It's it's uh, American Players Theater in Spring Green, Wisconsin, hmm. uh, which is located on an amphitheater, in an, an, a hilltop amphitheater that is a, a, a couple of stone's throws away from Frank Lloyd Wright's house, Taliesin. And uh, there's something about that place that I always, in the old days, I used to spend a week, even a week and a half out there and try to see everything in the repertory because it was the most beautiful, beautiful place to experience theater. The audiences were full of life and they were just ordinary folks from Spring Green, people from the surrounding cities. And uh, the company was made up of uh, actors who came up from Chicago who were 
and they have a, you know, a, a resonant ensemble as well. And in some ways, they seem to me to, to symbolize everything we have temporarily lost and uh, we're going to get back. We are going to get it back. Mm. Well, you, you describe yeah, spring green is the perfect uh, descriptive phrase to think about, you know, where, where, where we're all feeling mm-hmm. we're going, you know, we're going to spring Gosh, green again. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's the, that's the, that's the, I feel that's the impulse we all share today. Yeah. Um, but it is time for us to wrap up this uh, this episode, guys. Um, before we do, uh, we are, we're going to use the words that Gregory Mosher reminds us of from mm-hmm. Tom Stoppard's screenplay for Shakespeare in Love, in which uh, a character says, Allow me to explain about the theater business. The natural condition is one of insurmountable obstacles on the road to imminent disaster. So what do we do? Nothing. Strangely enough, it all turns out well. How? I don't know. It's a mystery. So we don't have to unravel the mystery, Elizabeth. Uh, we just have to. We <laughs> I, just have to like wait, uh, wait it, wait, wait out this period for something uh, new to new corner to turn. I I know I know I, I you know and 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 as a as a love of of procedural crime <laughs> novels and shows. Uh, I for for change, I'm going to be happy with actually uh, kind of letting things unfold and not sticking my my, my nose into it. Um, but anyway, so perhaps today we we I, actually you know what? No, I don't I don't think we we did we we did any progress in solving this mystery at all. And I, I kind of like it that way. I like being a little bit in the dark right now and 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 seeing what people are going to come up with. Uh, it's not a bad place to be, and and maybe maybe it's a luxury of me to say that. Um, I, I don't know, but I'm I'm looking forward to to what's gonna what's gonna come out, and I really have no idea. I have no idea. So mm. anyway, mm. either way, on this note of complete <laughs> uncertainty, but you know, gr- green spring hope type feeling. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. I'm Terry Teachout, and you've been listening. To Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America, hosted by American Theater Magazine. And I'm Peter Marks. Our producer is the unflappable Erica Huang. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Three on the Isle and write to us at threeontheisle.com. As you see, we re- we read your letters. We do, we do, and and we quote them, and then we're gonna probably steal them. <laughs> And and yes, please let us know what other topics you'd like to hear on future episodes. And don't forget to leave a review or rating on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks for listening. We will be with you again soon on the virtual aisle. <laughs>